Please join me in praying. Lord, we thank you for this morning. Uh, We thank you for the joy uh, that we experience in worship. Lord, joy that overflows from last Sunday when we remembered the victory of your resurrection. And on this day, as uh, many enter the waters of baptism, we are reminded in Scripture that as we go down into the waters of baptism, Lord, we die to ourselves to be rose, uh, risen from the, gra- the grave by you um, and resurrected into new life, Lord. Um, only you can do that, and you do that through the course of our lives, uh, Lord. It's not just one moment, but it's a lot of many, many moments. Um, and so, Lord, we pray that you would help each of us, Lord, to remember uh, our baptism if we've had one, to, um, to consider it as a, as a way forward if we haven't. And in all things, Lord, would you show us what it is to be brought into your family. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, I want to share with you one of my favorite stories. Uh, It comes from the book of Acts. It's found in chapter 10. Uh, It's an appropriate story because it involves a family, much like today, with all sorts of uh, noises and all sorts of uh, joy. Uh, I'm... I'm really excited to share that with you. It's a long story, um, so I'm going to give you the Cliff Notes version, and I would encourage you, uh, if you haven't, um, to read it in its entirety, Acts chapter 10. But here's the Cliff Notes. Simon Peter, one of Jesus' 12 disciples and arguably the key leader in the early church, he's staying in a, a house of a man named Simon the Tanner in a city called Joppa. While he's there, God gives a vision to a man named Cornelius. It's important to remember and to know that Cornelius was a man who feared God, but he was not Jewish. He was a Gentile. In his dream, in his vision, the angel of the Lord says to him that God has heard your prayers. And God has seen your generosity. Send some men to Joppa. And go and fetch Peter. Meanwhile, Peter is having an experience that may be familiar to many of you as it is to me. He's trying to pray on a rooftop. And he is very hungry. He's waiting for the meal to be prepared down below. And he is trying to stay focused. In the middle of his time of praying, he too has a vision. He sees a sheet coming down from heaven. It almost looks like a tablecloth. As I mentioned, he's hungry. On the sheet, there are many animals, reptiles, uh, all sorts of things which are not kosher. uh, Things which he cannot eat. But he's hungry. He hears a voice from heaven that says, get up, kill eat. But being a good Jewish man, Peter resists. He says, surely not, Lord. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice responds, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. Three times Peter has this interaction, and then he comes to And as he's sitting there pondering this vision, trying to understand what does it mean, the Holy Spirit gives him a clue. 
a clue that it might be about more than just roast pig or snakes on a stick. The Spirit says, Simon, there are men, three men, are looking for you. So get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. The men arrive, and Simon returns to them the very next day to the town of Caesarea. And as he gets there, he finds in Cornelius' house a group of relatives and friends that are waiting with bated breath to hear what he might say to them. And as usual, Peter speaks bluntly. You are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. Ouch. Dang, Peter, I mean, at least break the ice a little bit. He goes on to say, but God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising objection. That's better. Cornelius then asks Peter to say to him whatever it is that God has commanded. And Peter begins his sermon this way. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? It reminds us of that reading from Genesis 12 that all the way back with Abraham, the plan was that God would bless all the families of the nations of the earth, all those who feared him and who sought him. Peter goes on to testify to them about Jesus, that he was the Lord who was anointed to bring healing to the sick, to bring freedom to the captive. He explains that the Jewish authorities hung Jesus on a cross and that he died, but that on the third day, God rose him from the dead and that Peter himself was a witness of all this. Finally, Peter says this, and this is a key for us to always remember on days of baptism that this is the hope. Um, this is our way forward as a people of God. He says, he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one that God appointed as judge of the living and of the dead. Of the prophets, to, all the prophets testify about him, Jesus, that everyone who believes in Jesus receives forgiveness of sins through his name. And then, right in the middle of his sermon, I keep waiting for this day to happen, Right in the middle of his sermon, the Holy Spirit falls on the people in a powerful way. And all of a sudden, all who heard the message received it. And they started speaking praises to God in a heavenly language. You see, the same thing happened to these Gentile believers that happened to the Jewish believers just eight chapters earlier on the day of Pentecost. And this was the signal that the long-awaited promise was coming true. It's hard for us as 21st century Americans to grip, to grip the magnitude of Jews and Gentiles coming together in fellowship. I mean, they go together about as well as oil and water, Aggies and Longhorns. 
Now, I was given creative license on this joke, but I was told that Aggies need to come first. I won't name names. <laughs> and yet, God brought these people together. Um, this is exactly what Paul foreshadows in Galatians 3, 28. He says, there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Jesus Christ. See, God appointed a people, the Jewish people, to be a light for the nations. But that was always an, a means to an end. The end that they would hear, receive, and respond to that light and be brought into one big, messy family. Then something happens, um, which is pretty great. Peter, realizing the amazing things that are happening, he says, you know what? Things have shifted. Um, and it, and his que the question I'd ask you is, what is Peter's response to this sign? He says, surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. You see, we read in our gospel passage that Jesus instructed his followers to make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Peter follows these instructions, and through the waters of baptism, he marks Cornelius, his relatives and friends, as recipients of the covenant of grace. The covenant that began all the way back with Abraham with the sign of circumcision, reaches its fulfillment in Jesus Christ, in his death and in his resurrection. And with it, there emerges a new sign, a new picture, something that signals the invisible reality that all have been made one in Christ. That new sign is baptism. So, why am I telling you this story today? Baptism is primarily about what God has done and what God is doing to bring people into his family. We come from a variety of different traditions here at Grace. Um, some of us grew up in churches that did not baptize infants. Some grew up in churches that did. Some of us grew up in churches that say the only way to do baptism is full immersion. Others are cool with sprinkling. At Grace, we clearly have made some decisions, and you'll see more or less the convictions we have in the, in the ceremony which follows. But that's really not the point. Um, if you want a, a detailed explanation, we can grab coffee sometime. But today, our focus is not on splitting hairs over baptismal practice, but on marveling at the mercy and the extravagance of God's love marveling at all that he has done to bring us into his family. We remember that God is the one who sees. He saw Cornelius. He heard his prayers. Cornelius knew some things about God, but he needed God to reveal himself fully. And we need the same. Cornelius needed Peter, a Jew, who probably was not Cornelius' first choice for a dinner guest either. And he needed 
the church. His family needed the church to teach and to show and to live this message of redemption. Not just for one day, but for always. So too, Peter and the rest of the Jewish believers needed Cornelius' family. They needed to see God's response to the Gentiles because they didn't know how far God's love extended. How radical the love of Christ can break down walls that divide us and make us one. And so too, we need this message. So too, we need the church. So too, we need to be the church who bears this message for others. That day uh, that these new believers heard the message received the Holy Spirit and entered the waters of baptism was not the culmination, but the commencement. It was the beginning and not the end. Among those baptized, there were likely uh, infants and young children, as it was the household. They would need to be told this story again and again of how God came, how he revealed himself, how they received this incredible gift And so, too, those who will soon receive the gift of baptism, regardless of their uh, understanding with varying degrees of maturity in faith, so, too, they need us to be the church, to live this good news and to speak it to. This is an exceptionally high call. If If we pause and we realize that there are actually no spectators in the church, that we are all participants, that we all have a role. But lest we be daunted, let us remember the words of Paul from Philippians chapter one. I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion in the day of Jesus Christ. God used two visions One story of Jesus, the gift of the Holy Spirit, and he used all of that to bring sworn enemies to the table as brothers and sisters. And so, let us rejoice. Let us remember our baptism, all that God has done, all the people he's used to draw us to himself, and let's join him in this redemptive work today and always. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for those sounds, Lord, the sounds of life, the sounds of joy, um, the sounds of those who you're drawing to yourself. We ask that you would help us to be your people, to be your church, to love, to serve, to come alongside not just our own children, Lord, but those of your family, Jesus. Would you make us one? as you made Cornelius and Peter one? Would you draw us to yourself? Would you remind us of our baptism? And would you help us all um, to come to know you even more fully in this day and always? Lord, we trust you. It's not us. It's not our, our ceremony. It's you and your work that does it. And so we thank you and rejoice in it. In Jesus' name, amen.